0: I need you now. I need your presence now. Do you ever have those, those moments where you ever feel like, God, I really want you to answer some prayer? We're going to keep um, going through that. We're actually not quite, like I said, not quite done with, with the difficulty. It's not completely over yet for Joseph. Um, his father, Jacob, uh, as we're going to uh, enter into this sto- the last part of the story, is getting ready to die. Uh, he's given his blessing to his children and now the time has come for Jacob to die. And so that's what we're going to be looking at is the death of, and burial of Jacob. And so if you, uh, like I said, if you turn with me to Genesis 49, I'm going to start reading. Uh, I'm going to read verses 28 through 33. Um, and then I'm going to also continue reading um, in chapter 50, verses 1 through 10. So let me find my place here. Genesis chapter 49, starting in verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of uh, Machpelah, to the east of uh, Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place there they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife and I and sorry and there I buried Leah the field and the cave that is in in it where the uh, sorry the the field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites when Jacob finished commanding his sons he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Moving through in chapter 50, verses 1 through 10. Then Joseph fell on his father's face, and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping... For him were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I, that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up, bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him, one of all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a great, it was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor uh, of uh, Atad, which is Beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, your Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for this day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you desire to reveal yourself to us, your love and your care, that we have your word that we can go to in the darkness and the difficult times in our lives. Thank you that your word is a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. Thank you that you direct us and that you ultimately direct us to yourself, that you reveal yourself. So we ask even now that you would reveal yourself through your word, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are open to receive you, Jesus, by faith and with joy. We pray that your word will be the power of salvation uh, for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're nearing the end of uh, the story of Joseph, and one of the final scenes in the story of Joseph is a funeral. Uh, I was just talking with Brett earlier. Brett went to a funeral this week. How many of you have ever been to a funeral? I'm assuming most of you have been to a funeral. Maybe it was for a friend. Maybe it was for a loved one. Well, Joseph is getting ready to go to the funeral of his father, Jacob. And when you go to a funeral, usually what happens is you end up either sharing and or hearing stories about that person, that person's life, because oftentimes funerals are a celebration of life celebration of that person's life, and you might have some pictures of that person, right? So if you were to think about Jacob here, if, you were, if we were reminded of his stories, of, there'd be lots of stories to tell about Jacob at his funeral, and they probably would be pictures and stories about Jacob always grabbing at life, right? Because that's literally from the time he was born, he was grabbing at his brother's foothill, right? Trying to grab. He was trying to grab at the blessing of his brother. There would be pictures and stories of him trying to grab, grabbing at what sometimes wasn't even his. He dressed up like Esau. He tricked his dad. There would probably be a story about that. Maybe they would be laughing about that at that time, but maybe. Sometimes stories, you know, we tell stories that uh, we can look back on and laugh. He was just that kind of guy who would grab at life. He even grabbed and wrestled with an angel. That was the kind of person Jacob was. So there would be stories about him. As I was going back through this uh, story this week, I was reminded about a story um, uh, with my, my, as I my, was preparing for my own dad to die. Uh, it was just over here at Emory Hospital. He had gone through 12 years of battling cancer, and I think I've shared this with many of you before. And he was uh, going through uh, a stem cell transplant, and he was uh, not able to make it through. And he was on a ventilator, and many family and friends were coming and getting ready to say goodbye to him. And I remember he used to tell me a story about how he <clears throat> was the fastest guy in his high school. And, I'll, and my brother and I, actually, we didn't really believe him. You ever have stories like that that your parents tell you? You ever seen the movie Big Fish? It's like this story about a father and his son. He tells them all these sort of grand tales. And then at the end, he realizes, oh my gosh, these stories are actually true. So one of the things that he t- stories he used to tell was he raced the fastest guy in the high school which his name was Thomas Harris. Thomas Harris actually went on to uh, play running back at the University of Georgia and he went on he was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers and he went on and had this great career. His dad, so Thomas Harris's dad was a scout, baseball scout for the Montreal Expos back in the, like the 1960s. And so my when my dad was born His family was so poor, they actually had to move in with the Harris family for a little while. Um, And so he told a story about how one time he actually bet Thomas that he would beat him in a race. So they met down at the football field after school, and they raced, and he beat him, And so he was known as the fastest guy in his high school. And he used to tell us that story all the time, and we never believed him. So sure enough, as my dad is about to die, Thomas Harris shows up at the hospital and unprompted, he just starts telling the story about when he raced my dad and when my dad beat him. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, I never believed this. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm sure even, and I'm sure my dad was taking great pride in that story, even as he was breathing, getting ready to breathe his last. But funerals uh, and, and times, there's, there's stories that happen, right? And maybe you've had stories that you share about loved ones. Um, uh, funerals are meant to be a celebration of life. We sometimes this, we, we, we have these moments where we get to laugh and we get to celebrate that. I can, I can look back and I can tell you that story and I can laugh at it, right? It was a story about my dad. These are, but we also kind of, it's a, it's a, we're trying to hold this tension during the time that we are at funerals of like celebrating that person's life, but also saying goodbye to them. And there's, there's a tension there that we have to hold, the, to grieve the, the loss of life. If you look back at the passage with me, uh, at the very end of chapter uh, 49, don't, don't miss this. It actually, I love that um, the Bible goes to great detail, even to great detail to, to tell you, not just like give you a summary or a paraphrasing, but it actually goes to great detail to say, Jacob breathed his last breath. He breathed his last breath. I know some of you, maybe you've been with loved ones when they've breathed their last breath, Uh, and some of you uh, will have that moment where you are standing at the side of a dear friend or or a family member, uh, and you feel completely helpless as you watch that person, that loved one, take their last breath. They breathe in, and they don't take another breath, and it's really hard to watch. I've watched it with both my parents. I've watched it with other loved ones. It's Really hard to watch. As I've watched the dying process and I've uh, talked with others who've watched the dying process, there's a small amount of relief that you actually have when that loved one is suffering because you're thinking, oh man, that's, they, they don't have to suffer anymore. You have a little bit of relief. Again, as it gets back to this tension. At the same time, you realize they're not going to breathe another breath again. At the same time, there's a lot of grief. Especially if that person was suffering, you might think, man, I'm glad that they don't have to suffer anymore. And even though you have that feeling of relief, you, every bit of you know that this is not right. When somebody takes that last breath, you know that this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And that's why the, the, one of the first things I kind of wanted, wanted to look at with you is this idea of the problem of death. The problem of death. That's kind of really the two points I want to make. The problem of death and the promise of life. Okay, the the problem of death. Life is not meant to be lost. We know that in our bones. You know that in your bones. Life is not meant to be lost. Life is meant to be lived. And it's not just the loss of life that we grieve. It's the loss of that relationship. And that's what Joseph is is grieving here. If we actually look at the... uh, Beginning of chapter 50, if you keep following me in the text here, Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And I can relate to this because I remember this is exactly what I did when my dad died. I fell on him, I wept, and I kissed him. And I remember that vividly, that feeling of loss. Remember, Joseph has an intimate relationship with his father, he was Jacob's favorite son. We talked about that at the very beginning but they were separated for many years. If you think about, go back to their story, the story between Jacob and Joseph. They were separated for many years um, after his brothers sold him, and he was sent to Egypt, until they were reunited when his family moved to Egypt. And Joseph loved his father, and he feels this loss. I don't know if you've ever read this book or heard of this book um, by Nicholas Wolterstorff, Lament for a Son. Uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff is actually um, he's a, a professor at Yale, was a professor at Yale University um, of theology, and he talks about um, he lost his son. And, he, and this whole book is about how he uh, l- laments for the loss of his son. And I wanted to give you a quote from this book that really sticks with me and uh, something that I can relate with. Um, he lost his son, when, uh, his 25-year-old son, in a mountain climbing accident, and he shares his grief in this book. And uh, if you could put the, the quote up there, he's, he says this, He says, it's the neverness that is so painful. Never again to be here with us, never to sit with us at table, never to travel with us, never to laugh with us, never to cry with us, never to embrace us as he leaves for school, never to see his brothers and sisters marry. All the rest of our lives we must live without him. I think that's one of the things that, I, you know, we, sometimes we want to try to skip past this in, in sort of the Christian faith. We want to kind of, you know, it's kind of like we want to get past Good Friday if you get to Easter. Um, but a lot of times I think um, I want to encourage us, the Bible actually encourages us to go into those dark places, especially those dark places of, of grief, to actually realize that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Death entered the world because of sin. Brokenness entered the world because of sin. And we feel that loss of relationship, that sense of that neverness. Joseph weeps because he knows that Jacob will never again be there with him. You and I weep when we know that never again feeling that we have with that special loved one. Jesus, if you think about this, remember when Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus? It's like the, the shortest sentence in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. And that actually shows that Jesus was weeping because he he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why did he weep? Why why would he weep? Because he he was identifying with you and I. He was identifying with our human experience because he knows that death tears us apart from one another. And that's the whole reason why Jesus came in his life and ministry was to to resurrect that, was to bring resurrection where there is death. But first, he takes time to weep. There's a lot of weeping in the Bible did you know did you see that much you know, weeping is going on? Joseph's weeping e- Egypt is weeping. If you look at ancient literature and especially in like Greek literature and even like Roman literature, a lot especially men they're weeping, they're just weeping, they're crying <laughs> men that's a, that should be a, a, um, an example for us. We should take time to lament and weep the brokenness and the death that Exists in our world. Can, can you even think of that right now? Can you even think of, like, maybe an example in your own life of a loved one? Or maybe something where you've experienced darkness and difficulty where you just want to cry, right? You just want to weep. Give yourself the grace and the space to do that. Every bit of our being knows that never again reality is not right. Sometimes we just try to, like, cope with it in different ways, right? But we know that never-again feeling is not right. We were made to have that always feeling. We were made to always live. To always be in relationship with each other. Right? Not never. Always. That's, we know it in our bones. Ecclesiastes talks about the, you were made with eternity in your hearts. You were made to, to last forever. That's why death is the biggest problem of our human experience. We all know that, like I said, in our bones, but the, the question is how we deal with it, right? How do we deal with the problem of death? And that's, to be honest with you, why I remain in the Christian faith, because I wholeheartedly believe. It's not like I'm just going through the motions up here, <laughs> you know, as a pastor. Like, I'm gonna, I, my job is to come and preach the gospel, right? But no, I actually believe it. <laughs> I believe that the Christian faith, ha- the Bible has the best answer for the problem of death. Have you really taken time to explore this? To wrestle with this? this you, I invite you to wrestle with this. This is not something you should just accept. You should wrestle with this. Especially if you've experienced this personally. Because actually what happened, this is examples we see in, in the scripture of people wrestling with this. This idea this of the, of the that death is the biggest problem in our human experience. And you hear people trying to deal with it at funerals. Um, you maybe, like, he, this person's still with us. And we want to figure out a way to deal with the harsh reality of death. And this is where I, I want to challenge all of us, whether, you're, you know, whether you can, you're questioning the Christian faith, maybe some of you have been in the faith for a long time, maybe you're kind of quietly questioning some things. Um, no matter where you are in, in your faith, or even if you um, are trying to revisit what you believe, I want to challenge you with one thing: to compare the historic Christian faith with other religions and other philosophies about how they deal with the problem of death. Compare it. For example, you think about—I mean, I've, I've used this example many times—but it, it's, it, it's just such a very simple answer. If you look at, if, let's just look at Jesus and his final words versus, let's just say, Buddha and his final words. Jesus' final words. Do you know what they were? It is finished. What were Buddha's final words? Strive without ceasing. Do you see the difference? Jesus says it's finished. You can rest. It's finished. Not only can you rest, but I'm promising you resurrection. It is finished. I've defeated death. Versus strive without ceasing. Do you see the difference there? That's one of the reasons I lean so much into the Christian faith and believe it with all my heart because Nothing can compare to it. Nothing can compare to it because that's what the Bible is. It, it deals with the problem. That's the whole story of Scripture. It's dealing with the problem of death. And the, prob- and, and, and the answer is that we have a promise of life. And I, that's the second point I want to get through here. We actually see it in seed form here in Genesis, right? You know, all the Genesis and the, book, and the early books of the Bible, that's just, that's just the story of redemption in seed form right, that grows into a big tree as we think about it in the Gospels and later on. So the promise of life, that's the second point I want to make. Um, if we go back to think of funerals, funerals are meant to be also a time of hope. You can kind of, if you go to a funeral, I've, I've officiated funerals, all sorts of funerals for, for people who are uh, Christians and non-Christians, and you can kind of tell a difference between uh, where the hope lies, right, with non-Christians, it's really hard to kind of grasp on to that, to that hope, whereas with Christians, there's, there is hope. There's, there's hope for the promise of new life. If you look back with me at chapter 49, verses 29 through 31, Jacob is preparing for his death and burial, and he gives specific instructions to his family to be buried back in the land of his forefathers, the land which he had, God had promised to his people. And Jacob was filled with faith, and hope in the promise that God had given him and his people. How do I know that? How do I know that Jacob was filled with faith based, just, just based on Genesis 49? Well, it's not just based on Genesis 49, because we actually have the New Testament, which looks back, especially in Hebrews chapter 11. You don't have to go there, but just listen to this from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, because it informs what Jacob was really preparing for. When the author of Hebrews says this, by faith... Jacob. Jacob had faith. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and bowed and worship. So when he was blessing his sons, he was doing that in faith and in hope. And he died in faith, not having received the things that he were promised to him at that time. He didn't receive the—he didn't see the, the promise of, of the land— but having seen them and greeted them from afar, he acknowledged that he was a stranger in exile on earth, seeking a homeland, desiring a better country. This is a heavenly one. Therefore, God has prepared him a city. Do you hear that? There's an element of faith and hope. That's the promise of life. That's the reason we, can, that's the reason we come here every Sunday, because we're clinging to, to this faith and hope that this is not all there is, right? We're clinging to this promise of life, that death is not the end of the the story, that life, there's a promise of life. That's where we come and we sing and worship. That's what the faith that Jacob has is the same faith that we had. And his story is, quite frankly, our story. (laughs) Maybe you can relate to this. not having received the things that are promised. Sometimes we're not going We're not going to experience the things that are promised in full, in fullness, and greeted them from afar, and he acknowledged that he was a stranger in exile on earth, seeking a homeland. So friends, this is the way I want to define hope. Go with me here for a second as we think about this, what what distinguishes us in the Christian faith. Hope is believing in the promise that God has made for the future. Simple as that. Hope, we can define hope in lots of different ways, but just... Think about it like this for now. Believing in the promise that God has made for the future. Hope is certainly about believing in the promise for the future. Jacob's, if we think about this for a second, Jacob's hope is not in how he will be remembered by his children and grandchildren. So often, that can be my hope. I wanna, my hope can be like, as I'm thinking, I'm about to turn 45 this year, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm in my fifth midlife crisis, Right? I don't know, for those yeah, I see some laughs for those of you in your mid-40s and ha-ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, sometimes we think, how am I going to be remembered? How am I going to be remembered by my children, by my grandchildren? Sometimes we think of that as like, that's what we can plan for. I'll, I'll start making plans for how I can be remembered. Maybe that's something that kind of occupies our minds or our plans. Jacob's hope <laughs> is not in that. Jacob's hope is in the promise that God had provided a place for him to bless him and give him life. Let me say that again. Jacob's hope is in the promise that God has provided a place for him to bless him and give him life. And therefore, he was. what was he doing? He was passing on, not his memory, a blessing to the next generation. A blessing to his children. So they could keep passing that blessing on. Right? That's the whole purpose of the church. We want to receive the blessing and by faith, and we want to pass it on. That's why we care about disciple-making. Hope looks for the future. That is why we hope for, the, sorry, let me say this. Uh, so hope looks forward to the future, and so that's why what we hope for is what we plan for. What you hope for is one indicator of like what you actually hope for in life is actually what you plan for. If I were to look at kind of like your, your, your schedule or kind of like how you schedule your time, how you spend your money, so on and so forth, how you're planning to do all those things, what your plans are, that's what you hope for, right? You can kind of answer that. What do I hope for? Well, what are you planning for? Right, we all make plans, right? You're making plans, maybe you make short-term plans, you make long-term plans, what you plan for is often what you hope for. And Jacob made plans in this text (laughs) and decisions completely based on his hope for the promise that God had given him. So we see here Jacob making plans and decisions completely based on his hope for the promise that God had given him. Right? And so therefore, again, this idea of what you plan for is what you hope for. Even think about that for a second now. Just even right now. How can you make a plan right now what comes to mind? How can you, if you want to write this down, you can. What, what plan can you make that would be centered on God's promise for you? What plan can you make that is, indicates hope? This is why we exist as a church. This is why we talk about the flourishing of our neighborhoods, the flourishing. Because we care about not just ourselves, but we care about the good of our city. We want flourishing. So we, we, because of what we believe about the gospel and that Christ is going to come and make all things new again, that informs our plans, right? How does that inform your plans? Even right now, Christ promises to come back and make all things new. How's that gonna inform your plans? How's that gonna change the way you plan your time? How you spend your money? How's it gonna, the way you spend your day today? The way you spend your week? the way you maybe even have your long-term plans? How does that change the way you plan? And again, think about that right now. Write it down. If you think about this, God has promised new life for you. He's promised to bless you. <laughs> so what would it look like for you to make plans based on the hope not, sorry, let me say this again. What would it look like for you to make plans based on the hope not that this life is all that there is, but that there's more? And you get that new life right here in worship every Sunday. This is why we come and we worship. Worship is a foretaste of the new life that we experience in Christ. So we come here, and this is a time for us to put on our imaginations, to plan, to think, right? Not just to get sort of, yeah, we come here to get clean. (laughs) We come here to be forgiven. We come here to, to hear the word, but it's meant to spur us on. It's meant to encourage us and empower us and equip us to go out into the world, right? And to practice that hope. It's not just about, what, I hope that, that this, uh, this sermon series would help build a paradigm for you, right? And how you see the world and how God has intended for you to bless the world. But also it's not just, hope is not just something to believe, to have. It's something to practice. You can practice hope. I want to encourage you to make this um, a reality, even this week. So, I'll just conclude with this. Hope is certainly about believing in the promise for the future, but it's also not just about believing in the promise, but it's also about believing in the promise maker, the one who makes the promise, right? I think about myself, you know, so many times uh, as a parent, I try, I've really tried hard throughout my parenting to, to not make promises I can't keep, but I mean, Gosh, it happens all the time. I make promises. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll give you this, or I'll give you, you know, my kids maybe ask for special privileges or something, or ask for certain things. It's like I try really to say, if I, can't, if I can't guarantee it, I try to say, no, I can't do that for you. Or, yes, I can. And then I try to carry it out, if, right? You want to be good and hold your promises. Not even as in, this is in relationships or in your work life, whatever. We try to carry out our promises, but how much do I fail at that, right? Do I fail at carrying out my promises, Ultimately, we, sung, we actually said it earlier, we sung about it earlier, that God is the one who is faithful to his promises. He is the one who is ultimately faithful. He promises to what he promises. God makes promises that he plans on keeping, and he has kept them in Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why we show up. He has dealt with the problem of death and given us the promise of life, and he's actually kept it. He's kept his promise. So we can cling, we can actually have, we have reason to hope in the midst of darkness, in the midst of difficulty. You have reason, even when you feel like God is nowhere to be found. You have stories, we have the story of Joseph, we have the stories of Scripture to remind us that people who've gone before us, like Jacob and Joseph, who experience difficulty, who experience darkness, can say, no, we have a promise keeper. We have a promise maker, and we have a promise keeper. Jacob looked forward to the promises from afar, promises that Jesus fulfilled hundreds and hundreds of years later. If you think about that, that's what's so cool about the Old Testament when Hebrews 11 gives us these facts. It's like these people are looking forward, and they're looking from afar, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and they still believed in that promise. It didn't come to fruition until hundreds of years later, but they still believed it. And it was hundreds of years later when Jesus lived his life and mission, the whole purpose of his life and ministry was to accomplish the promise. And that promise was for God to bless the world and to give us everlasting life through him. And that his death on the cross was the accomplishment. That's why his last words were, it is finished. So friends... Let's hope in Jesus by looking to the cross, believing in his promise that he gives us new life through his death and resurrection. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have dealt with the problem of death and you've dealt with it through the life ministry, death and resurrection of your son Jesus. I pray that we would cling and hope and we would actually even not just hope in an ethereal way, like, um, but we would actually hope in a very practical way that we would put, make plans based on this event that has occurred in the history of the world, the life, death, resurrection, that we would believe that you promised to make all things new. Even, even capture our imaginations right now. Capture our plans. May our plans reflect the hope that we have in you, Jesus. We pray, thanking you for the good news of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue now to worship through the offering. God is a good God who gives us good gifts. He is a promise keeper. And so this is a time where we uh, can give back to the mission and ministry of the church. Told you about my dad earlier. One of the things that my my dad would often do when he was going through, he went through all sorts, I mean, whatever treatment, you name it, he had to do it. He went through chemotherapy, radiation, bone marrow, he had to do all sorts of different types of treatments over the 12 years that he had cancer. One of the things, the practices that he had was he would always have something he would look forward to. Like when he got through with a chemo treatment, he would have a plan where he would look forward to going, maybe it was something as small as going out to a mill with his family, or maybe it was something, where, something bigger where he would take a trip uh, with my mom or something. But he always had something he looked forward to. And that's something like, I'm really glad that I, I have that example of, but it's, it's an example that we have in Scripture, that we're called to be people who look forward. That's what Jacob and, and Joseph were doing. They were looking forward to something they, they knew they were not going to be able to take hold of. That's why we come here and we celebrate this, is we actually are part, this is a foretaste. What that means is this is something we look forward to. It informs how we live our life now because we look forward to the day when we will be reunited with Christ himself and be feasting at the table with him, where we can actually be experiencing the fullness of full of life and flourishing with him as we feast and as we eat and as we drink so as we come together each week, this is a time for, for us together to get a foretaste of that so that we can look forward. We can look forward. That's what hope is. <laughs> hope is looking for... This is, a, this is a practice of hope coming forward with, to take communion. And so, friends, this is a mystery. Let's proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good at all times and all places to give thanks and praise to you. Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, Jesus, we praise you that you came to accomplish the promise that was made by the Father to bless the world, to give to the world, to overcome the biggest problem in <laughs> the human experience, death itself. Jesus, thank you for your life, your ministry, your death. Jesus, thank you for your resurrection that you share with the world, that you freely give because of what you've done. That you, this, is an, this is a picture and a foretaste that you've given of your body and blood that we don't have to think of our final breath as the last chapter, but we will breathe again and have new life, a new breath. Spirit, breathe in us, we pray. Be that breath. Give us that new life, even now, as we taste and experience you, that you are good. Equip us, empower us, we pray. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. When he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, do so. In remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup when he gave it to his disciples. He said, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith and be thankful. We do that in one station. Come forward, you can receive a gluten free wafer. Dip it in the dark. Uh, cup, which is the wine, or the light cup, which is the grape juice. Come as you're ready, friends.